Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we can be here today. And we pray that you would bless your word as we study it. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> first question always, um, was there anything valuable or anything that stuck with you from last week? And this is also something that's kind of new. I've only been asking this question for maybe two months. And, um, and it actually comes from a, 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 what do you call it, a conference that I went to. And the presenter did that every day. It was a four-day conference. And every day, that was the first thing. Except he had specific things that he wanted to make sure that we had remembered from the previous week. And um, I've left it a little bit more open, but, uh, you know, I mean, I do believe that God works through his word. And I believe that what we're doing here is going to impact your week. And sometimes you notice it and sometimes you don't. That's kind of how the Christian life is. And, uh, and so, if there's something that you notice, I think that that's encouraging. You know, and if there's something that was uh, important to you, I think that's, you know, it, it's, it'll be important to the group. So. Can I say as a new person, everything yeah. we're learning here to me is, is very welcoming, I guess. Oh, good. More loving the history and the theology part. And I love Good. I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's, it's you know, been a good experience for you. All right, we are flying through the book of Romans. I mean, two and a half years or something like that. Uh, and we're on verses 8 through 10 of chapter 13. Uh, they say, uh, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. One of the things that uh, uh, interesting to notice, this is these two passages here, it's the last two times that the word law appears in the book of Romans. You know, it's, uh, um, it, it disappears from his vocabulary. And I was a little bit intrigued because you, you know how in the Bible, you know, your, your English translation, it splits it up and it often puts headings on the, uh, on the next sections. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that the word law appears in them. Um, I saw one that said you know, the law of love or the law of something else uh, as I was looking through my own Bible and I was like, interesting, you know, the, the word stops being used and yet when we look, we're going to recognize law at work in these passages um, and yet I think Paul is actually pushing us in a different direction 
um, because I think uh, he, he's, he's moving beyond what we would call the first two or two functions of the law, where the law acts as a curb and a guidance that, you know, it says stop or don't or this is what you need to do, um, and where it acts as a mirror where it shows us our sin. And I think through the rest of this book, he's actually acting with the law as a guide. And the law as a guide always functions from the idea of love. Love for God, love for neighbor. So what does that look like? How do I do that? Um, and, uh, and so when, when Paul speaks the law here, he's not just kind of generically talking about law. He is very specifically mentioning the Ten Commandments. He mentions four of them, right? Right there in the text. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that when we think about how we relate to the Ten Commandments, too, it, it's something that's worth kind of chewing on a little bit. Um, because for the most part, when I hear people talk about the Ten Commandments, it's like, these are this is this is the law and, and we're going to you know try to live by these things and more and more I see the Ten Commandments um, as kind of a summary of, of something much bigger um, and we might call that natural law it's the law that God has written into the world and into our hearts and this is a, a good way to have a summarized um, list of what those laws are because when you read through uh, Leviticus and uh, and Deuteronomy there's all this explanation there's all this stuff around it and and sometimes you're reading it and you're like well that connects to the fifth commandment that's kind of tied to the sixth commandment and that's talking about parents that's the fourth commandment and I think that this is this is like a framework that we then can hang uh, ideas outside of that. It's, so it's not just, you know, don't do this. In, in fact, you know, some of them aren't even commands. Um, they're, they're actually just statements of being. You, you won't murder. You won't commit adultery. It's, those are actually valid uh, translations of, of those passages in, in Hebrew. Um, they're two words. Um, and, uh, and it's just really, how do you how do you live as God's people? What does that look like? And it looks like loving. And so if I'm a broken sinner, what does it look like for me to love God? Well, I don't have other gods and I don't misuse his name. And um, I, I, I worship him. I, I receive his gifts and, you know, and I come and I hear his word and, and hold on to his promises. You know, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then, well, if, if as a sinner, I'm looking at my relationships with other people, you know, what does it look like for me to love them? Well, it starts with that closest relationship, you know, honoring your father and your mother, honoring people's lives, their, their bodies, their sexuality, their property and possessions, uh, their reputation, you know, and it just kind of goes through those very basics of life. And then when you read through the rest of those books, there's all kinds of things. There are all kinds of things that are tied to those different themes. 
And I find that interesting. And I think that it's actually helpful to know those Ten Commandments as a, a structure or a framework in order to look at the larger picture and think, okay, where do I hang this idea? I, I did the same thing with the, the whole small catechism when I was a seminarian. You know, I, I, the stuff I learned in eighth grade, uh, I remember, you know, sitting in uh, confessions class, you know, studying the, the Book of Concord. You know, so the, the small catechism is one of the things that uh, uh, I have sworn to uphold and Wes will one day, God willing, uh, stand before a congregation and say, this is what I, you know, believe. But that's part of a bigger document that's called the Book of Concord or a collection of documents that we say, this interprets the scripture rightly. These are the things I will believe, teach, and confess. And uh, uh, I remember sitting in that class and we're doing one of those larger documents. I'm like, this is just a small catechism. And so having those littler things that you can tie ideas back to, I think is really helpful. I think this is one of the reasons it's important to know the Ten Commandments and even to know them in order. Because I think they build, there's a, there's a logic to them. And uh, I'm always a little bit disheartened when, you know, somebody goes around to, you know, they do the, the man on the street thing and they're like, can you list the Ten Commandments? And the person's like, uh, I think there's something in there about not stealing. Uh, don't, don't kill. Uh, don't kick puppies. Uh, you know, and it's, it, these are things that are good for us to know. And, uh, and so, I, I think, you know, take this as a, a reminder to review your catechism. And I'll come back to that in a second. So, when Paul is speaking of the law here, he is speaking of the Ten Commandments. Um, and, uh, and see those Ten Commandments as a picture of something that's much bigger. Uh, and when Paul speaks of love, uh, he speaks of a specific type of love. Uh, it's that love that the Greek word is agape. And I have wrestled for a long time with, you know, how do we get to the idea of what, uh, what agape is in terms of how this plays out in, in our Christian lives? And, uh, and for me, I, I really think that agape is the kind of love that desires God's blessings upon others and for them to know his love and peace. And when I say that word peace, I, I, I want you to think of the Hebrew idea of peace, shalom. Because it's not just an absence of conflict, it's a total well-being that starts with a right relationship with God, and then that bleeds into your relationship with others. You know, and it's, it's this standing on a right foundation and knowing, you know, who you are in light of God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness. So, uh, I'll pause there for any, you know, questions, comments, anything so far. All right, so... I want you to, when you go home, pull out your catechism, read it over, particularly that part on the Ten Commandments. Well, one thing these Ten Commandments does, it really helps us to build a nice relationship 
So one of the things you should notice when you go through the commandments, the first commandment, obviously, you shall have no other gods. And then as you work through, you get to the, how, depending upon how you number them, but how we number them, the ninth and tenth commandments both deal with coveting. And when you covet something, it's actually turning your heart towards something because that's what you need for your life to be good and right. So in other words, you've just put your trust and your desire to something you know, beyond God. And so there's like an arc that goes from the first commandment back to the first commandment as you work your way through them. And all of them then deal with, you know, how do I, how do I relate to God? How do I relate to my neighbor? And each of those is related to who or what is my God. And so when Luther starts explaining these uh, in, the, in the small catechism, there's a pattern. And maybe you remember this from catechism class. If you had to memorize them, uh, it was, you know, like ingrained. You know, so you, you would say the commandment, what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not. Then that. And then there's comma, but. And then what you should do. And so as you look at that, um, he's really going through this and, and he's applying those three functions of the law to us that teach us you know, what the law is doing, what it's saying. Um, overall, it acts as a mirror. You know, as I look at what I should not do and what I should do and see where I don't fit that. On the, the first part, when it says what you should not do, that's the curb when you get to that last part that says this is what you should do that's the guide and so he looks at all of that and each and every one starts with we should fear and love god which takes us right back to the first commandment so uh i remember uh, sitting in a a, a a class one time and uh why shouldn't i steal from my neighbor because God's my God. I fear and love and trust in him above all things. You know, why would I honor my parents? Because I fear and love and trust in God above all things. And he's the one who has given me these parents. You know, why would I want to lead a sexually pure and decent life? Because God is my God. And so by tying everything back to you know, who is God and what has he done for me, my creator, my redeemer, the one who dwells in me, it puts a different emphasis on these in terms of you know, 
why would I want to do these things? You know, my God is the one who has saved me and he's redeemed me. This is what he desires from me. It is only rational that I would want to do what my Savior has called me to do and to be the kind of person he has called me to be. Now, does that always happen? No. And did God know that? Yes. And that's why he's given us, like, church. Why he's given us the means of grace. You know, because he knows that we need the forgiveness and redemption because we don't live up to these things. We don't love the way that we ought to love, whether him or our neighbor. And he loved us so much that he worked through that in order to provide for us. You know, something that, something that I think is both true about Paul and Luther is that they were both, you know, eminently logical people. They could, they could, you know, uh, uh, run rings around you with their logic. Uh, <coughs> and they were also extremely emotional. Mm. Um, and I think that um, a lot of times, especially in our culture, we sort of get caught up in the logic of the commandments, you know. Um, uh, you know, this is how to build a respectable society, right? And of course, you know, people have turned that around and said, well, you don't actually need the Ten Commandments to do that. You can just, it's, it's logical that you would do these things right. in order to have a respectable society. But I think, that the, I think that one of the things that Paul and Luther give us with, you know, this emotional language of fearing, loving, loving being the fulfillment of the law, is that it is above logic. It is above rationality. Because the thing about human rationality is you can rationalize yourself into some very dark places. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this is saying it's not about that. It's about love. It's about shalom. Yes. Oh, that was really good, Wes. Thank you. Yep. I think there's so many aspects to this. As I see it, there's, there's at least three levels of how you deal with these things. The first thing is you read the Ten Commandments and you say, oh, that's too bad. Here's all these things I like and I'm going to have to give them up. But God is my God, so I'll grit my teeth and suffer through it. And then you look in and you see this other part which Iftikhar alluded to where Jesus says, well, even if you've done this in your heart, you don't. And to some extent, that's just a reminder that we are all sinners and we do all need grace because, you know. But then it's, it's, it's easy to fall into the, again, sort of a rationalization trap that I don't have anything like that in my heart. I think I, I, I would often feel that way as, as a kid. Bring on these temptations. I'll pop them in the nose and get rid of them. It doesn't work that way. No. But you can, you can get yourself into a difficult place. But in, in another sense, that's progress from saying, well, this is all bad for me, but I'll just have to do it. Then the final stage, and the one that's most difficult to achieve, 
is, is to believe that these things are, are in your heart and, and, and work to a point where they become smaller and smaller. Has anybody ever gotten to where they disappeared? Well, Jesus did, I guess. <laughs> but, but it's a happier place. That's the thing. It, yeah. it, 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 if you get to that point, and I certainly haven't, where those those feelings really are not at your core, they may be still hanging around, but at your core you, it is, is love and joy, then you're not only following the Ten Commandments, but you're having a good time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think and I think that that's part of why Luther, when he explains them, uses that fear and that love, because you know, as a sinner, you know, these things are terrifying, you know, especially if you know that this goes to all the way into my heart, and my intention, and everything, you know, and you know, I mean, Luther once commented, you know, he's like, sometimes I just hate God, you know. Well, that's a reasonable response from a human point of view. If you know all he's doing is condemning you and always accusing you and judging you, and you know, and it's and you have this in the Psalms too, um, where there's a switch that happens when you realize that God is acting in your life out of love, and the commandments are followed. You know that this is about, you know, how do I, how do I love the one who has loved me so well? You know, how do I, you know, then love the people that he loves? You know, Psalm 119, it's, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's really all about, you know, I love your word. I, I love your law. You know, I, that just seems counterintuitive. I love your law? Well, I love this full message of, of what you have done for me and how you have saved me and redeemed me. And now I, in that love, I, I start to act in love toward God and my neighbor and you know and then it does become something that's beautiful and peaceful and, and joyful and then I start to feel selfish again and, and then I'm you know right back to it but uh, yeah no I, so uh, some scripture passages um, in terms of you know love your neighbor as yourself and all of that um, He's quoting initially from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, and uh, he comes back to that idea in Leviticus 19. Um, do, not harbor against your, do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against the members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then, you know, nobody should be shocked that Jesus uses these same words, echoes this same idea when somebody comes to him and says, you know, hey, what is the, the greatest commandment? And, uh, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he jumps right on and says, and the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. And catch, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Everything comes back to how do you live in a right relationship with God, how do you live in a right relationship with your neighbor. And it, it's 
rooted in God first loved us, he loves us, we love him, and therefore we begin to love the people that he loves. And, and I, I, think that the, I think the catechism, as it explains those, um, it helps us to articulate what love does. When it doesn't look like what it does look like, not perfectly, but like I was saying before, it's a place to hang ideas. It's a place to organize the thoughts. Um, and, uh, and, and, and in this way, um, you know, we're able to hold on to what the scriptures tell us and, and what they teach us. I, I should mention, um, you know, notice the footnote at the bottom of the page, this pattern of we should fear and love God so that we do not. Um, and then, but, you know, the only commandment that doesn't do that is the sixth commandment. Paul stays positive on that. He says, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. And husband and wife love and honor each other. He doesn't dig into, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He's just like, no, just do the thing that, that God has called you to do and be the people that God has called you to be. He's like, we don't need to dig into the other stuff. So, um, we want to hold on to, to two things when we think about the commandments. Um, one is that we love God by keeping his commandments. You know, Jesus, Jesus affirms that the commandments continue to operate in our lives. That these matter. And that these command us and they speak to us. Um, so we love God when we keep the commandments. But the second part, which I think sometimes is harder to see, uh, is that we love our neighbors by keeping the commandments as well. And so all of this law giving and law keeping, it's really all about how do, how do we love God? How do we love our neighbor? Yeah, I keep in mind, I try to keep in mind that uh, uh, whether a person is not nice to me or whether a person is nice to me, I am not the person to judge it because the person who is not nice to me, he is the creation of God. The person who is nice to me is also the creation of God. So depending on that, it gives you an idea that how I am going to deal with them. Yeah, um, a while ago I did a, a series of videos on a book called uh, Moanthropology. And, um, and what you're talking about, I think, ties really nicely with that because uh, in this book, um, Low Anthropology is a book written by David Zoll. Um, and I believe his father coined the term Low Anthropology. Um, it's just this idea of um, we live in a world that just kind of always expects people to be operating on their best. We have a high anthropology. Um, that tends to be pretty natural for us that you can do everything and you know, you're capable of all these wonderful things and um, you know I, I'm, this, this softball season I had a terrible realization <laughs> I will never play Major League Baseball oh, no. and there's a couple of yeah exactly and there's a, a number of reasons for that I have limitations I'm 50 I'm overweight, I'm slow, and I don't catch the ball that well. Okay. Yeah. You know, and 
I don't always make the right choices. And so sometimes people, they come to us and, you know, they, they act terribly. Are there a whole host of reasons that that could be the case? Absolutely. And if you expect that there could be a whole host of reasons that people are going to act badly, one, you won't be disappointed. And two, um, you know, you'll be able to respond accordingly. You know, that you can have a little bit more peace. I actually think this low anthropology is very much loving your neighbor because you're not expecting things of them that they're incapable of. Yeah. You know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, and, you know, and I, hopefully this isn't too personal, but at 50, I'm, in a lot of ways, I'm at the height of my skill. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I've learned a lot, and I'm con confident and competent, and, you know, it's like, and then I look, and I'm like, well, what am I going to accomplish with the next years when I've amassed these skills and... Yeah. Uh, this may be surprising, but I, I'm over 50. And you I, are? I, I know it's a challenge. But I think you'll find that you're going to find some new skills. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 in no way was I implying that life is done at 50. <laughs> And you mentioned, you know, and I think I mentioned it earlier too, we have the law written on our hearts. Everybody does. But when we think about sin and what sin does, it, it's, it's like putting, you know, a layer of paint over it. And um, 
Uh, I went to school at Concordia Ann Arbor and at the University of Michigan. There is a rock that the fraternities, they paint almost weekly. It's huge. And a, a significant amount of that is paint. You know, um, uh, Stowe High School actually has a rock and they're uh, you know, starting this. Um, and I think it's kind of a cool tradition, you know, but uh, you know, over the, I think they've been doing that for like 50 plus years. That, even though paint is like, you know, it, it, there's nothing to the, you know, it is actually measurable and it, it builds up over time. And I think that that is a really good image for the human heart. And, you know, as, as that sin has painted over and painted over and painted over. Now, as a Christian, you have had the opportunity to come into contact with God's word. And what do you think he does? He, yeah. Yeah, he starts reteaching us. And I think that that's one of the reasons that he gives us the Ten Commandments in a very short, memorable fashion. And, and then he also teaches us, this is about love. How you love me, how you love your neighbors. And in doing so, he's pulling that, that obfuscation, that, that hiding, whatever's hiding the, you know, the sin in our lives, away so that we can truly know it. And in truly knowing it, we can confess it. We can know that it's forgiven. We can live differently. You know, all of those things. And we can treat people differently. And this is like so amazing how the Holy Spirit works in us. And like, uh, when you understand that the Holy Spirit takes over, like takes the full control of us, it's like so amazing. I had a patient uh, a, few, a few weeks ago. I had a patient. Um, I would sit there and he is very angry, very rude very mad and I'm very I'm a very like fast paced person when I do job because I have <coughs> fifty patients at a time, or like twenty five patients at a time. The least number is like twelve patients at a time. So I have to go like boom 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 okay find everything done. This is the report. Now you tell me what you do. I have to report everything to the doctor. I went to that patient's room and all of a sudden I have no idea why I did slow down. I slow down just like he is the only one patient that I got down, the voice came down, I was talking with him in a very tough voice, I have no idea why I'm doing that. I spent probably like 15 minutes just to introduce myself to him. 15 minutes. By that time I'll be done with like activations. And then I was told from the authority that you need, uh, are you willing to seek for him? I'm like, sure. So I spent my entire day for him probably like 17 hours and he's like basically I started the first scenario was banging, punching people, kicking people, spitting people, banging people, do all kinds of different stuff. Doesn't want to stay in the bed, get out from the bed. He was on restraint. When I entered the room, because of I was there, they put the restraint away. So and later on the day ends up with he was having a lot of fun, a lot of joy. He had vanilla ice cream, he had strawberry sugar, he had pancake, he had meatloaf. He is watching TV and thinking about Ferrari. 
Uh, so that's how we spend the day. And later on, I when I get the report about him that why he's so special and what's really going on and why, what is the emergency, I found out that he has eaten. He has not been eaten for three days. Nobody was able to feed him because nobody was nice to him. And I'm like, I am not doing anything. This is the Holy Spirit doing everything. I am just a body and letting the Spirit using me. <laughs> That's all. You know, in some ways, could we say that anybody can do the things of the Ten Commandments? Well, maybe not. Maybe not the first three, but once you get to those commandments in relationship to your neighbors, these are things that pretty much anybody could do living a you know, civically upright life. Um, the difference comes in when it is rooted in this love for God. And it might not make a difference in terms of the uh, uh, experience in this world, but it does make a qualitative difference in terms of what this whole thing means in, in your relationship with the person and with, with God. You know, and so I, I do think that uh, going back to this idea of agape, you know, being, you know, our relationship, you know, wanting God's blessings in people's lives, wanting them to have a right relationship and experiencing the love and, and the, the mercy and the forgiveness that he has shown to us, you know, and. I think that you know that that is an important part about how we live as Christians, and I think it is a a really key part of our witness when that translates then into our behaviors. Yeah. What do you say to a child who has been severely abused? Um. So first of all, with a child, you know, it, it, it's really difficult because you don't know always how much they comprehend. Um, I, yeah, but I. I I would probably start with, I am so sorry. Well, I meant in terms of interpreting the commandments, say, honor your father and your sure. mother. Sure. There are times when that's not only difficult, but yeah. Yeah, so when I've talked with people, you know, that commandment in particular, and they had bad relationship with the parents, some of them were abused by their parents, um, you know, they're like, I, I, I can't. My response is usually, okay, you know, we're going to live in forgiveness. We're going to, I don't know, I, I might be wrong. Um, I, I, I tend to play the long game with people, and uh, I know that I cannot change people's hearts. I can testify to them about the truth, and depending upon the context, that might impact what I talk about with them in specific. You know, if I've got a person that's really hurting uh, because of a relationship with a parent, I'm probably not, well, God said this. Right. You, know, um, you know, at some point it might come up that says, you know, this is part of your relationship and it's part of your life, but it's probably not the first thing I'm going to focus on with them. No, I, I guess I'm thinking about a child who's hurt. Yeah. And you say, no, go back home and do what they tell you. Or, or you know, and, and, and particularly since there is no commandment that says honor your children. Oh, but when we read the New Testament, um, oh, you know, 
fathers do not exasperate your children. You know, that is a, that's an imperative. Yeah. Yeah. And so how we would take those commandments then, you know, that's one of those pieces that we're going to take to the fourth command. We're going to hang that on there, yeah. you know, as, as a correlative to what's being said there. You know, parents definitely have a responsibility to their children as well. I don't think they would. Right. Well, it provides no way out because there is no way out. And I think that that's part of the point of the commandments. They are there in order to leave you under condemnation. That's the first use of the law. And that then leaves you in a place where you need to live in God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That's when won by Christ. That last part, you know, the, where it acts as a guide, you know, there are people who have been abused who have gotten to the point where um, they may not have like reconciled with the abusive parents, but they can say, I'm thankful to God for what he gave me through these people. You know, Yeah. Well, yeah, it, well, and, and especially in the sense of, you know, do we know that what God wants in terms of, does God want children to be abused? Does God want people no, hurting other people? In, right. I believe God chose those people to be the parent. Now, I have family members, too, that were abused. Um, the one actually paid for the mother's house, and she may not speak to her, but she's made sure the mother's okay. So I believe she's honoring her. She yes. communicates with her again. That's between her, God, and her mother. But I believe you can respect your parents because they were your parents and God gave them those parents. Yep. But that doesn't necessarily mean I have to submit to your will as my parents. Especially if that will is unrighteous. That's correct. So, all right, we need to end on that tone, um, on that note. Um, we have a baptism delay service. I need to talk with the family before uh, we get in there and so they know what to do and all that good stuff. But, uh, Wes, would you like to close us with prayer? Sure. Let's pray. 
Lord, you are the great giver of the law, but you are also the great giver of the gospel and of life to us. We pray that today, as we hear your word and as we go forth into the world, that we may use that word, that we may use those great gifts which you have given to us in order to further your will, that we may love our neighbors, that we may uh, that we may bring other people the life that you have so graciously given to us. Lord, we pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.